Hello, Alaska. This is Pat Race. And this is Matt Buxton. And this is a podcast about Alaska. Hey, Matt. How you doing? Good. I'm feeling better this week. I was definitely, I don't know if you could hear it in my voice last week, but I was, I was going through some stuff, just spring crud. Yeah, and... Just, I don't know. I, so the Alaska Redistricting Board has been meeting this last week. Um, we're going to jump, we're gonna jump right in. I want to jump right into it. <laughs> okay, let's because go, go get them. We're, we're talking about crud. I thought, we, I thought we put this to bed. I thought we were done. We we, we wrapped it up very nicely last last time we ta- talked about the Redistricting Board, right? There was a there was a uh, Supreme Court ruling, and there was two little things to fix, and they just need to fix those things, and we're done, right? Yeah. I mean, no. So one of the things yeah. is easy. They've, or, they've already fixed the Cantwell uh, carve-out, where mm-hmm. they had to basically just revert to what they did were doing before that case, which was weird on its own. Like, there was a what point where board chair John Binkley was like, well, I just disagree with this ruling, so I'm, therefore I'm going to vote against it. So... If, what? Like if we're at a point, if that gives you a pretty good understanding of like where we're at with this, yeah. which is the board, the board's conservatives like really lost on this. They were called out for political gerrymandering, and it's been really kind of ugly this last week. I mean, so they're taking testimony on how to redo the Senate maps here in Anchorage, and you know they're they're doing like another round of public testimony, which is like mm-hmm. another round of everybody just sort of fighting over like what they should do and you know so now they're at a point where there's like a a nakedly republican plan that they're sort of talking them the board's conservatives are sort of talking themselves into basically the long and short of it is that there's a plan that still divides east or eagle river into two two different senate districts and there's another plan that doesn't and so, so one plan is better for republicans and the other plan's better for not republicans okay and, i have multiple questions here for you first of all yeah first of all the the court when the court sent this back they basically said you can't split up eagle river right or or was there something no not quite what did they say they said this is well this that's is illegal? that's what that's the thing right is it's not so we don't have like a super clear uh supreme court decision yet so we don't re all they found is that there was an unconstitutional gerrymander in the last plan but they didn't say what it was well they said it was you know putting eagle river with east anchorage oh. that was the illegal gerrymander so they said don't do that so let's they didn't put it with something really else. say put eagle river with eagle river yeah but that's kind of not what they're supposed to do right they're supposed to say this is what you did wrong and then go fix it right they're not just supposed to be that prescriptive yeah. yeah, yeah, that's so that's sort of where we're at right now. And um, mm. I think the reason it's really been like dragging on me is that like a court, it's become this like incredibly heated and toxic and like vitriolic sort of situation where you have like there are people that are clearly just misreading the, the what the Supreme Court said about everything. Right. And so there it's this like warped logic of trying to trying to you know like let's just be honest like I, there's some been some talk this week that like of course redistricting is a political process like of course it is and it, yeah it kind of is but like the fundamental thing that the court found here is that you can't benefit one district at the expense of somebody else like that that's sort of the fundamental ruling here and i feel like people didn't hear that yeah. and so we're sort of barreling towards a decision they're gonna make a decision sometime this next week maybe potentially i don't know i think it's gonna end back up in the courts at this rate 
Um, and is that part of the strategy is if it ends up in the courts, then they get one year of whatever they want and then then it gets fixed the next time around? I mean, maybe. Right. So yeah. that's the thing is that, uh, you know, so we will we'll find out what the courts do. Right. Yeah. Because they can you know, we have to have a June one filing deadline for candidates. So presumably at some point before then they have to have that done. But yeah. How close beforehand is sort of unclear. I right. think it's kind of the month ahead, but. We'll see. Yeah. Okay. So my other question is, you know, you're you're characterizing this as a as a Republican gerrymander. I had heard that Republican Senator Laura Reinbold called in and did not like that they split Eagle River, and I can see why she might not like that um, because, you know, with Eagle River consolidated, she has kind of her base there, um, and her seat is pretty secure. But I think that if you split up Eagle River and you pair you know, whatever Eagle River district she's in with some other district, maybe she doesn't have as good of a chance under ranked choice voting. Is that, is that a possibility? So if you want to, yeah, like that's a thing we haven't really talked about a yeah. whole lot, right? Is that there's a reason too that David Eastman, you know, very extreme right Republican was, didn't like this map either. You know, he didn't like these um, layouts in Wasilla where he was being put with another far right guy, Christopher Kirka. Um, is basically his, his main buddy in the legislature. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think there is, we it really has gone, again, unremarked upon, I think, in the whole thing. But there is this sort of definite feeling where the, like, the most conservative people are sort of being systematically outed in this map. That it's not, I mean, yes, they can, you know, what, they, what the end result here is, is that they end to get, there's one more Senate district that's more Republican friendly. But specifically, I think, the goal is that it's, you know, one more Republican district that is not super Laura Reinbold friendly. And right. I think that's part of the goal here. And I think um, it hasn't been remarked upon all that much. But to hear uh, Reinbold like get up about it, I think is really interesting. Right. Because I think it kind of speaks to, you know, you know, the, Laura Reinbold isn't like a necess- you know, she's obviously not like uh well regarded i think within her party right i think she's sort of even other republicans don't like her and i think a lot of them would like somebody who's much more like easily controllable right or or more or less embarrassing less embarrassing right and um and so i think that there is you know definitely that's part of the benefit of this map is trying to get rid of her and but i think though so you know when you know, she's she yes, she's talking from her own self interest, but I think, you know, some of those things when when the bigger sort of party machinations are sort of stripped away, you know, when you're not a lot aligned to that, like the, there's a pretty obvious pairing, which is to put Eagle River with Eagle River, right. and so whether where this all ends up is, you know, I think what it's been difficult about it really is that it's been some of the nastiest like public testimony i've seen in a while uh yeah. like you know these are the the sort of uh hostility is it's a special level of like nasty anger it's getting like so heated and and everyone on the board is like really quick to like yeah. accusations against each other and like that's fair like you know it, it's been a tough end of the road process but they're like it is to me like pulling teeth at a level where it's like you know, if we got to have two sort let Senator Laura Reinvolts for 10 years, that might be better than listening to another minute of this stuff. It's just like, you know, I think and I think that's what's so difficult about it is that, you know, it's, it's just tough to like spend all this time listening to people 
argue something that feels so like not genuine and like kind of disconnected from reality yeah i mean I, so i've been to eagle river eagle river feels like it is this you know it, it's an autonomous suburb of anchorage it's within the municipality but when you're talking about like contiguous parts of the state like eagle river is as much a community as like valdez or juno or you know mm-hmm. like you know there's all these places in the state that that don't even have half the services that Eagle River has. It's a functioning, you know, it's a functioning community on its own, even though it's like a subset of Anchorage. Well, and, and now they're calling it a rural part of the state <laughs> because it has bears and road service areas. It's like... You know, welcome to Alaska. We're all, I guess we're all rural then. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I love redistricting. This is like my jam. But mm-hmm. at this point, I'm 100% done with it. Yeah. And ready to ready for us to move on. Well, I hope they wrap up soon for for you. And, uh, you know, maybe they'll maybe they'll put the, the weird wonky split Eagle River map through and then the courts will have to do something about it. <laughs> or, or maybe they'll maybe they'll uh, see the light. You know, there's been some surprises along the way. There's been there were surprises with house maps. And I think that at some point, someone like uh, board member Simpson or, you know, might come along and just be like, okay, well, this, I'm a lawyer, and I can see that this makes sense. And I understand what the courts wanted here. And, and I'm not going to play this game anymore. Well, I mean, that and that he pointed that out too a couple of times. And that's why I think is it's been really interesting to sort of watch this process unfold, because I think like there was a moment where board member uh, Melanie Banky was sort of complaining about this idea that her and Nicole Baromio, another board member, they're both Alaska Native women. Like she was complaining that they were, you know, getting lumped together, you know, as if they are the same person. You know, one one person was saying, well, look, because Nicole was texting with somebody, obviously you got this plan from them. And, and you know, I think it's like kind of, it, yeah, she's right, it's offensive. You know, I think there's, it's sort of unfair to, to, to treat them like they're the one person. I think too, on the same sort of like dumb flip side of this dumb coin that we have to deal with, <laughs> is that like the, the Republicans aren't, you know, this all monolithic either on, on this redistricting board, right? right. I think yeah. that two of the members are, are very, you know, kind of, got it figured out as far as the you know the, their political marching orders and i think bud simpson from juno i think he really is kind of just following what he thinks is right and i think like there are and that's when we that's what we get back to i think it's that he's doing what he thinks is allowable right and there's a lot of room within what is allowable in this process which yeah. we could you know this is I don't know just if I'd another be, I, I don't know if i'd be quite as generous as you but i do think that he understands the legal system and the framework they're working within and is going to know where where like the red face test just doesn't you know it's like yeah i mean he although like it should be noted that he did vote for the senate pairings that get did get struck down yeah. so i don't know well you gotta try matt you gotta try yeah <laughs> yeah okay anyway so that trundles on uh this week was kind of the the delayed budget week in the in the uh alaska legislature we had uh, a delay because there was a massive COVID outbreak but anyways the budget happened this week and they did sort of the the classic amendment palooza uh where david eastman files five thousand amendments and hurls them at, every like, one of them gets hurls them down. at the wall like so much spaghetti i didn't pay super close attention to that process but there were two things that came out of that that they did catch my eye. One was the removal of money for state-funded abortions, which is uh, has already been decided in the courts multiple times, and is sort mm-hmm. of a little bit theatrical. It was, I didn't, you know, it it passed, but it's something that is not going to. 
probably stand up. Yeah, I mean, this has been something we've dealt with a couple of times now, and I think the money always ends up getting back. I think that we might even see it return in the Senate, potentially. Yeah, it doesn't accomplish anything. The courts will strike it down, and we'll get back onto it. Okay, and then the other one was the um, the payments for the uh, API folks who, who were fired illegally by Governor Dunleavy and his chief of staff. Um, they were due something like, you know, four hundred to five hundred thousand uh, dollars. The legislature removed those from the budget and said, we're not going to pay those. And um, that is pretty wild because for a lot of reasons um, in in the court ruling, the federal judge said that basically Dunleavy and his chief of staff were on the hook for that. Unfortunately, in the settlement, the ACLU and these doctors signed a document that doesn't look really favorable to them. You know, at this point, the document in itself says if the legislature contingent on legislative funding. And so they basically have signed a settlement with Dunleavy to hold him harmless for zero dollars at this point if it doesn't get funded by the Senate. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. That's exactly right. I mean, this is a this is to me a really wild story. I spent like a good deal of Friday talking to some folks and and writing about it. I'll probably have something out very soon about it. But um, yeah, so I mean, this idea of there's like several things here. So the, the idea of the legislature picking and choosing which settlements it, it funds and it doesn't fund is like a very unusual thing. They usually don't. They've like they've they're people that have like tried to crack this open in, in recent years and pretty much everyone involved that that can drive this sort of stuff says like no way we're not opening up the settlements thing we can't do it because it like sends a really bad message that like why would you ever settle with the state if you if you can't count on it on it being paid but this case is really 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 unusual in that you know yeah that we we have a, a judge's ruling that found both Dunleavy and Chief of Staff Tuckerman Babcock had lost or qualified immunity because they found they basically very egregiously violated the First Amendment by, you know, the, through the, well, you know, the loyalty pledge firings, right? So these were where they were, you know, forcing state employees to, you know, compel speech from them to tell, say that they are supportive of the Dunleavy agenda or else you get fired. And so they got fired and, but then they settled, right? So, well, so they, first uh, they won their lawsuit. They won. They they won their lawsuit. It was in the stages where Dunleavy was trying to appeal their loss of immunity, but basically it was Dunley. They the judge found that yes, Dunleavy would have been held personally liable, but right. then and, and the, the state turns the, around. The next step would have been then suing the state for damages and resolving that, but instead they settled for like you know save the time in court. Let's just get our money, and they settled for this you know whatever it was, approximately two hundred and you know forty thousand dollars per doctor. Mm-hmm. And then, but that's the settlement with the state. So it releases Tuckerman and Dunleavy of their liability. And that's what's so wild about it, right? Is that I think, you know, if this settlement had come at the beginning of this lawsuit, I think no one would have a problem with it. But the fact that it got to the point where a, a, a judge said, you guys are can be held personally liable for this. And then the state turned around and said, hey, we got you. That's why it's so, I mean, that's why it is so unusual. And that's why I think, like, the legislature opening this up and, and getting into it, I, you know, I think is is kind of, at least in their eyes, warranted. And I think they believe that this is, like, a pretty serious line to cross. But the problem is, like, as you were saying, 
the settlement kind of says says all this is a possibility and so um as far as like what happens to these doctors and the aclu is not super clear because you know if, if the state does if the, the the settlement says that if the state doesn't pay then the state doesn't pay <laughs> And doesn't really like give them a whole lot of recourse, and I just I don't. Oh, I mean, I think it. I would have to if I was one of the doctors, I'd just have like a feel sick to my stomach about this whole situation. Yeah, and I mean this this same. I, I would feel really bad if I was this attorney for the ACLU, right? You know, this is a, an agreement that they told their clients, like, yeah, you should sign this. this is a good deal. We're we're good to go, and. You know, this this guy also wrote he wrote a letter to the editor of the ADN that basically said that the the state has always remained true to its word and appropriated the money when plaintiffs have agreed to settle their cases and give up their rights to vindication before a court or a jury. If the legislature could simply pick and choose which settlements to honor based on whether they supported the decisions that spurred the lawsuits, what litigants in their right mind would settle the cases against the state in the future? And so. You know, he went into this assuming that the state would follow through and make this payment. They they may well still if the Senate can put the money back in, but they might just not pay it. It might be a way for the state to save, you know, whatever it is, four hundred and eighty thousand dollars. About a half million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, to me, it's, it's just a wild situation that I think the state kind of knew what it was doing here mm-hmm. honestly like i th- and that's if i guess if you were to try to reopen this whole thing you would have tried to be arguing that the state you know the Dunleavy administration knowingly did this without you know knowing that the legislature wouldn't fund it but even that i don't i don't think that's like a particularly great like avenue here no um well whatever so yeah i mean whatever whatever you try to do from this point you're digging yourself out of a hole and you're gonna have to pay a lot of money to a lot of lawyers to make this happen right and and the thing is too is that you know if the state does come around and fund this, you know there has been talk that you know you could get a lawsuit that the state paid this right that the state you could argue that the state is you know personally benefiting Dunleavy and as a as a lawmaker I don't really want to have that vote on my record even if it's the right essentially the right thing to do like that's what that's what I think is so difficult is if the legislature decides not to pay this. Dunleavy's still off the hook, right? And well, he might be more. The, he might be more on the hook if they do pay it. If they do pay it, someone, a private citizen, you or I, could sue the state and say this is an inappropriate thing for the state to have paid for and to agreed to, and then and then all you cause all kinds of chaos mm-hmm. that maybe makes this you know this this agreement with the state then becomes void because they, you know, it's just something that they weren't even allowed to do, and you're yeah, and you know, say that the state had no right to issue this. It, you know, to make this agreement in the first place. If they don't make the payment at all, I feel like that limits your options quite a bit if you're these API doctors. Yeah. I mean, and I think too, the thing is here is, you know, there's all this talk about setting a dangerous precedent with it. But, you know, I think the precedent is maybe don't settle a lawsuit where it says that the governor could be held personally liable. Well, I mean, it's, it's not, it doesn't, I don't think it sets a dangerous precedent. I think this is yeah. a pre- precedent that we're all aware of. There have been similar situations okay. because the Taj, 
the Taj Mahaker building. Oh. They stiffed the guy on the rent for that because that. Well, was no, a, I'm talking about. I'm talking about. But the state, when you're dealing with the state, there mm. you, you've got to know that there are a lot of cooks in the kitchen, and you've got to know that a deal can call, fall through, and you've got to have a contingency in your agreement yeah. for that okay. to happen. Yes. Like so, that happened with the oil tax credits too, right? So oil tax credits, the uh, oil companies thought they were going to get all this money, all these you know the wildcatters or whatever. They mm. thought they were going to get all this money, and then during the Walker era, we you know prices crashed and we couldn't make those payments and they said okay we're going to put those on hold and we didn't pay them out as fast as they thought they were going to get them and that hurt a lot of small small yeah. oil companies right and the same thing you know well, so you've got the all PFD. these and the pfd is a, a great example of like you know you think you've got an understanding with the government it's in the it's in the law right we ignored the law we didn't get our pfds that we thought we were going to get and so the it's you know this is part of the this is part of doing business with the government is that you have to realize that, you know, maybe they're not going to come through and you've got to. Yeah. So make, maybe don't, your... maybe, maybe you don't expect the government to, to pay out when it's covering the personal expenses of the governor. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that, that, I think, again, you just got to come back to it. You know, this should have been seen a mile away. Right. Because this is an administration that like we've been people, legislators have been looking you know, for many legislators have been looking for an opportunity to like personally stick it to Dunleavy, right? And like you could argue that they're part of the P the the desire to cut the PFD or the reluctance to pay out a big PFD is like motivated in part by animosity to the governor, right? Yeah. So well, and that's another part of this budget discussion, right? So going back to the budget. Yeah. Okay. The, thanks for pulling me off of this. No, no, but that's. <laughs> But but yeah, going back to the budget, we've got the the PFD. We're getting a you know we're getting a twenty six hundred dollar PFD in this budget that the House passed, uh, but it's uh, not thirteen hundred dollar. Yeah, right. It's so it's this you know, and we've talked about this before that it's sort of this um, you know we've got a thirteen hundred dollar uh, you know hardship energy en energy hardship payment or whatever. Yeah, so this is a it, it sort of delineates it as a one time payment to offset increased fuel prices but really it's all part of the same check people are going to look at it and be like okay i got my twenty six hundred dollars this year you know i think it's an interesting way of trying to frame it so that dunla dunlavy doesn't get a, a win on this big pfd but it is a big pfd right we're getting a twenty six hundred dollar pfd this year yeah i i like the i like the notion of here's your here's your thirteen hundred dollar pfd here's your thirteen hundred dollar energy bonus um, but it's, but the reality I think isn't, isn't going to come through for a lot of people. All this sort of feel stuff feels like it was set in course like three years ago and we're just sort of going through like the motions now. It's very weird. We got to figure out the PFD thing because the legislature treating it like a budget item every year is, is problematic. Yeah. Cause I mean, now, it, now, it you have, now you have like a whole day of discussion to the whole budget. Well, and also at yeah, the very it, least, yeah. But also, it competes directly with like things like education. I mean, that yeah. was part of the, some of the arguments this week. Literally, was like, I can't do this because we don't have a full PFD in here. And you know, frequently it was like kids' education stuff. It was, it, you know, it was very basic sort of like social programs that were being pit against this. But you know, at least they also, you know, they they picked a fight over oil tax credits. I don't think it went anywhere, but you know. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. What? So, was there anything else in the in the budget that was interesting to you, or or that you noticed? I I again, I've sort of just peripherally paid attention to it this week. I mean, I think a lot of the budget this year 
feels a lot more normal of the pro more normal process and i think that kind of is you know a result of there being more money right i think that helps some of it go faster it, i mean it's obviously not going fast this year it took like three days of budget amendments and then a weekend vote but it doesn't feel like there's like these huge massive fights it's sort of these around the edges red meat issues that are are kind of you know they're motivating to someone but they're not like one way or another it's not going to change like the big course of anything significantly <laughs> So, so I, I think that kind of that's sort of there's sort of a not necessarily back to normal thing, but like we can we can do this kind of approach here. So uh, we'll see. I mean, I think so. The the house didn't pass the effective date or right. the three quarter thing, but they usually never do at this point, anyways. Um, even in, even when they eventually will. So I mean, I, I assume it's going to become a mess, like it has every year recently but if for right now it sort of just feels like it's moving moving forward we're going through the steps right now well and that's the elephant in the room right is that effective date clause last year we almost shut down the government over it and there, there was a new interpretation a new and fun interpretation last year of the effective date clause that caused us to almost shut down the government so um if they choose to leverage the effective date clause as kind of this heavy hammer um, the minority in the house can can do a lot of damage. You'd, you'd hopefully see some of those people say like, "Well, we don't really like because the 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 end result of that right is like many more special sessions where you cannot campaign and fundraise, you know, and in an election year." So I'd hope that you know that's people always tell me is that a lot of that like desire to get back to the campaign trail or get you know well because all everyone's opponents is you know, campaigning and fundraising right now. Um, some Hopefully some of that kind of gets them on course and not desiring to drag it out all year. Yeah. Okay. It's just well, sort of disruptive. All this sort of stuff feels like disruptive, right? And, yeah. So, you know, I mean, maybe we'll, we'll <laughs> in two months from now, we'll be completely shut down and won't be able to even hold like our, the special election because we won't have money for it. So. Okay, so speaking of the special election, we, t we spent the whole episode last week talking about the special election. Do you have any revised thoughts or notions? Do you want to do you want to change your prognostications? I didn't realize how, I didn't realize how much the right wing side of the world hated Sarah Palin or hates Sarah Palin or or at least is oppositional to Sarah Palin. Yeah, and I think that you know I, I don't know if I necessarily write her off the top four, but. I think that I would maybe pencil in more Nick Begich, I guess. But, you know, he seems, I think that's sort of what I, I wasn't really thinking about too much last week is that um, there's not really a good, clear, like, single, or not like a big field of, like, conservative, like, serious, conserv like, conservative, conservative candidates in, in this race, right? We have a lot of these kind of, Moderates, you have these independents, you have a couple Democrats. You do have a lot of Republicans, but of the serious Republicans, like that are what we would think of as like the conservative conservative Republicans. Like, give me some legislative analog here. What are you, are you talking? I'm about? talking about your like your 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 House minority Republicans. Your yeah. David East, not quite David Eastman's, but like almost. It's like that question of like. Would they, in recent years, been primaried by somebody far more conservative than, than right. them? Right, far okay. more Dunleavy aligned than yeah. them. Like, 
you know, I think there's that's sort of the you know, like John, John Cockhill is like an extremely conservative person. Yeah. But he's not like in in the good graces of the Republican Party anymore. Well, right? and I feel like you're talking about like must read Alaska Republicans. I think so. Yes. So and so that's I, like, Nick Bagich seems to have apparently. The yeah. From them. So I guess I, I guess all you know, I think I've, I've heard a lot of people just saying that we really sold Nick Bagich short. So I guess I'm just saying here. I guess there's maybe more juice there. I don't know. I don't know, man. I, you know, I don't know about Nick Baggage. You know, I, I look at him and I, I see someone who hasn't been part of the conversation for very long. Like he, he certainly does seem to have a lot of column inches in, in must read Alaska, but like the, uh, you know, his track record isn't, he doesn't really have a track record in, in Alaska that I'm aware of. You know, I, I hadn't really heard of him much before. And when I went to like read about his policy, I went to his website and there really, and there wasn't anything there at that point. And that was kind of early in the week. So instead I started Googling him. And what I found is this like comp- convoluted, complicated history. Like the, the main thing that I found is that he makes a lot of money. So I think he's able to probably like purchase some support. But I don't know that he has a lot of actual support. You go back, there's an ADN article uh, where they interviewed his business partner. And he says, Begich spends a lot of time listening and does not act impulsively. You know, he says, like, that's one of the reasons that Begich waited to venture into the political scene. He's very, very careful and cautious. Then I go and I read a little bit more. I find this, like, you know, startup blog where they interview people about their startups. And this is the same guy talking about the same Nick Baggage. And he says, this is them starting their company. He says, Nick explained how he works with all types of companies and mom and pop startups. I asked him how he could attach himself to a startup from inception to exit. And that's when the light bulb went off. In perfect Nick fashion, he said, we could get started right now if I came on board that night. You know, so his, his origin story of his company is like meeting a dude having some pizza and saying like, let's start a company tonight. And that same guy's like, he's super cautious and he takes very careful steps. And so like a little muddy there, uh, I've read a little more and you go back to an article, he ran against Amy Dimboski, who's, you know, kind of big in the conservative circles in Anchorage. He ran against her in 2016, uh, for I think an Anchorage assembly seat. And she cleaned, cleaned his clock. She beat him by, uh, it looks like 16, 16 points, 16 percentage points. And, um, in the article where she talks about it, it says, and this is Domboski, she questioned Baggage's conservative con- credentials. And, and, and so you've got, Beg- you've got Domboski, uh, who is definitely part of that, you know, what you're trying to describe as like, Ala- like the current kind of Alaskan Republican picture. You've got her questioning his cr- credentials as recently as 2016. So I don't really feel like he... You know, like I feel like it's a little incepted. It feels a little astroturfy. It feels like maybe he makes some money and he can buy a bunch of support from Must Read Alaska or whatever. But I don't think that he's done the work or that anyone really knows who he is or what he's about. I guess, you know, too, uh, the other piece of caution in all the story, too, is that, um, you know, I think Democrats or progressives this last week were feeling pretty dire before uh, the Anchorage municipal elections. Um and I think people were maybe reading a little bit of too much of Must Read Alaska because pretty much everybody won by all the progressive incumbents won by like 10 points. The one moderate was the only guy who lost in that race. So uh, I think maybe some of that stuff is, you know, isn't necessarily entirely reflective the amount of noise that happens on there versus the actual energy. So I don't know, though, but, but that's all to say I think people 
Maybe we overestimated Palin. I don't know. To me, Palin and Gross are similar in that they are outside-in candidates. They are candidates who have a lot of support outside of Alaska that is being shoveled back into Alaska. Last week, Al Gross's campaign, well, not his campaign, but, you know, it, it you kind of follow how the money and influence flows in these things. And it, and it looked like a poll that had been funded with gross money basically said Al Gross is just like a couple of percentage points ahead of Sarah Palin. And also uh, in this ranked choice, hypothetical is running against Laura Reinbold as well, for some reason, <laughs> who's not even in the race. And the, uh, you know, you see these things and it's like to excite people who are outside of Alaska. It's like the iron stash of Alaska kind of game where you're, where you've got all kinds of people outside of Alaska throwing money at this Alaska race to influence our politics and that money and all that outside influence does have an impact on Alaska, right? So, you know, Alaskans are watching national news, they're reading national news, and they're going to see a lot of Al Gross, they're going to see a lot of Sarah Palin, they're going to see a lot of Santa Claus. And I think that those, you know, those outside influences can't be discounted. They certainly have an impact. And I believe it was Nat Hurst did an article on, on the elections recently on some of the candidates. And one of the people he interviewed was this woman who's recently moved to Alaska and who is excited to vote for Sarah Palin. And, you know, I think we forget how much, you know, we always, you, I mean, and I think you and I talk about this a lot. We have this short memory and we have a lot of population churn. And I think there are going to be a lot of Republicans in Alaska that are going to be like, yes, Sarah Palin's the one because they're watching Fox News. True. True. All right. That's, I mean, but right, that's just right now. Well, do you, you know, have, feel like you have any uh, reassessments since last week? Not, no, I mean, not big ones, but it's kind of interesting to see things get moving. And I feel like the wheels are just kind of slowly turning. It's like a big train getting out of the station. And so you've got, um, you know, I'm seeing a lot more people kind of uh, not just on the outside in, but from the inside out, I'm seeing a lot of support for Santa Claus um, mm -hmm. as a democratic socialist, kind of a Bernie vibe. You know, it's something that I think Alaska's hungry for is a, a Bernie Sanders type candidate. And I mean, we were um, that we were like second after Vermont, right? In yeah. Bernie Sanders support in the the sixteen primaries. Yeah. Yeah. So if he can, if he runs and says, "I'm Bernie Sanders and also Santa Claus and also I support children," I think that that, that message works pretty good over a short term campaign. Um, Mary Peltola is one who I'm still very excited about. She spent 10 years in the legislature. She uh, led the Alaska Bush Caucus. She um, has worked for Donlin. So she's worked in kind of resource extractive industries, which is, you know, maybe not great if you're coming at from a progressive side, but I think she's got an interesting story there to share. And I think that the, uh, you know, the work she's doing now uh, to try and cut down on like halibut bycatch and things like that, she's very focused on what is one of the least wealthy and probably opportunity poor areas of Alaska, um, you know, and that's kind of Western Alaska there. And I think that she has put in the time and, and I don't know if that's going to bubble up or not, but I think there are people who are really excited about her. And I've talked to a few of those in the last week or so. So I feel like she has, I feel like she's one of the candidates that might not win, but really has a lot of headroom. Like she could, she could see a lot of growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of the things that I've been I've seen a lot of in this last week is support for those two. Um, I think it is really you know I think it's, if there's anything close to like a organic candidates too, I think those are pretty close to them. Yeah, I'll be interested to see where Chris Constant take th takes things. You know, he's got a head start, you know, ostensibly, but um, does he just focus on Anchorage and trying to build support in Anchorage and try and leverage like I'm the Anchorage candidate and I will 
serve Anchorage and that'll get me out of the primary and then I can expand or, you know, like it'll be interesting to see where people try and find their primary election numbers because you and I talked about this last week. This election is going to have what, maybe 100,000, maybe 200,000 voters in it. And with 48 candidates, there's not going to be a lot of votes to go around. So people, if, if you've got, if you're John Coghill and you've got 10,000 voters in Fairbanks that are, that have got your back, you might have a real shot. One of the other things that is sort of people have been talking about too is like, how much does the seniority thing matter? Like I've heard some people talk a little bit about like, well, do you want to be voting for your quote unquote placeholder candidate? Do you want somebody who's only there for the next four months of the last four months of that term? Or do you want somebody to like get the head start? And that's sort of one of the questions I haven't really gotten like a good answer to is just how much does four months of being in the in Congress matter over what is the next class? Are you all of a sudden not a freshman in the next class? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it, it's sort of a, a question I've heard people talk about. Well, and more importantly, how much does it matter to voters, right? Yeah. Like I, I think a lot of voters don't care at all. And I've heard a lot of people say, I want Santa Claus to win, even if he's going to be there for you know three or four months. And just because wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be funny? You know, and yeah. there's a little bit of that like fey chaos energy around Santa Claus too. That's, um, you know, I, t- I talked to a campaign manager not too long ago and she was like, Santa Claus is keeping me up at night. I'll admit it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's bad. I, mean, I think wow, that's he's like got a $400 campaign. It'll be great. I mean, I think, yeah, so this week too, the, the ballot was printed and, and released publicly. It's this sort of massive 40 or 48 person list. Um, they got them all on one page. I mean, I think, yeah, and I, how, I think how you vote in it is, you know, this, the strategy for how you approach this vote, because remember, you only get one vote at this stage. There's four, 48 people, one you one vote, no vote, no ranking at this point. Yeah. Like, I don't know how I'm going to vote. You know, I don't know how, I don't know how to approach this question, I think. And that's kind of cool, right, is that you don't have the party signed off candidates. You have this big, wide field of people that we get to pick from, and how you go about ranking people, what sort of things are important to you is like a good exercise, I think, here because there really are a lot of options, right? Like, do you vote for the candidate you think is going to win? Do you vote for the candidate you want? Do you vote for the candidate you think is funny? Like, there's all sorts of different things. I I mean, I'm excited for it. I think kind of exploring how you approach that is, again, it's like a good, I think, like, test case for what we're going to be doing hopefully from here on out so i've seen a lot of discussion of people like trying to you know we're going to use math and game us out we need to limit it to like we need to get all these candidates to drop out and throw our support behind one candidate and and you know it's not going to happen in the amount of time that we have and so i think that's, that's those discussions to me are are entertaining and useful but i don't think they're gonna you know they're we're not going to get five candidates to drop out and throw the support behind this one person that they want. And the people who support those other candidates think that they're going to be able to do the same. It's just not going to happen. And so, you know, I think your best strategy for voting in this election is to go in and vote for the person you want to see win. And, and you have 48, you have 48 people and there's no room for, error you know this could be this could come down to one or two votes uh to to decide who's in the top four and you should vote for the person that you want to see progress to the next to the ranked choice general election so 
Um, I, I saw someone post a ballot where they'd scratched off all but three of the names and they said, oh, this sure makes it easier or something like that. And I, and, <laughs> and, and I think that for each of us, it's the, it's the same process. It's like just cr- cross out all the, you know, cross out the 44 yeah, names. You you're just, don't want it, you're yeah. never going to vote for 44 of those people. And then you think about it and, and it, you've got a really you've really just got a few candidates to decide between. And I think that that's you know, for everyone, no matter where you are in the political spectrum, you've really only got a few candidates to kind of weigh against each other and it will be a difficult decision, but that's a, that's great. It's nice to be able to vote for people that you like and want to win. And so I, I haven't made up my mind either. I don't know yet, um, who I will vote for. Um, and I'm going to kind of try and keep an open mind for the next few weeks because I think that we'll see, some of these candidates will will bonk out. Some will just never get off the starting blocks, and some will do some amazing things that make us fall in love with them. I'm not, I'm looking forward to whatever kind of debates or candidate survey, what kind, whatever kind of ra- crazy thing uh, everybody comes up with. To... Well, so we're going to do a candidate survey. Yeah. Right. And so I, I've been collecting <laughs> questions. We've got a ton of them. I, have you seen the question? We've got a, a gazillion mm-hmm. questions. We can put that out this week. Maybe we should just yeah. drop that this week. Um, are, are there things that you really want to learn about these candidates that you think are, are really solid questions? I kind of like the mix of sort of soft, goofy kind of Alaska cred questions like the like when we ask someone where where's your favorite pizza in Alaska that's not a completely useless question because it tells us that they know Alaska and Alaska communities and care passionately about you know slices mm-hmm. of those communities right so I mean those are sort of the things that I I guess a lot of the things I want to know about like the quality of who somebody is you know I think those kind of answers are really illustrative of of the kind of person somebody is. And I think kind of like that's who you're sort of how you're voting a little bit. Is that like, like, I don't know how to weigh all the different policy positions in this, but I know who I at least want making those decisions at the end of the day. And it's going to depend on what kind of pizza they like. (laughs) And I, you know, I'm not saying that I'm only going to vote for people that like the same kind of pizza that I like, but I, I do want a compelling answer, you know, that that says I, I care about Alaska. Yeah. <laughs> uh, any other stuff going on that we need to cover? I kind of think we talked about most of the stuff that I wanted to talk about this week. Um, yeah. No, I'm, we, I'm just excited to take a break soon. Uh, I've got a little vacation coming up here, and I really need it. When's that happening? Uh, it's next week. Okay. Well, it's been Folk Festival week in Juneau, so let's go out on uh, this wonderful song by the Empty Oil Barrel Band. And this is uh, Ed Schoenfeld, Maggie Schoenfeld, and Riley Woodford. Well, we just wrote this song, or rewrote it, on Friday. Usually we have at least a week with a new song, but um, because something happened Friday. It was the uh, closing day for the filing deadline for filling Alaska's congressional seat, and 50 people, 50 people at least, uh, signed up for it. So, Captain and Tennille were on the radio, the Waltons were on TV, when he won that special election back in 1973. Long may you run, Don, people said, but now his time is done, and everyone wants to be the next Don Young. 
next on young now santa claus is running he's the one who i would pick me i'd vote for sarah palin but she'll probably just quit